your companion podcast to the Steam Machine Podcast. I am Willie of the Destructo Brothers, your absentee host for the episode about Batman Arkham City. And I have just come here to record a sort of special follow-up in order to speak about things I wasn't able to speak about due to my absence on this episode. I will be uh, providing timestamps to the parts I'm speaking about if you want to really follow along tightly. And this edition of the episode is a response to the Patreon version. So all timestamps will be given with respect to the timestamps on the Patreon feed on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening to the main feed, you may need to hack about 13 to 14 minutes off of any timestamps given. So um, during the uh, introduction, we spoke about crossovers, some of your favorite crossovers. And I have to say, one of my all-time favorite crossovers is one of the first ones I ran into on complete accident. When I was in middle school, I was getting really involved in watching, you know, shows that I hadn't seen that I didn't quite grow up on that I was trying to find out what the big deal about. One of them was Star Trek. And so we used to go to Blockbuster Video or Hollywood Video, rent all these Star Trek movies on VHS tapes. And I remember there was one day where we were going to rent, I believe it was Star Trek V, The Undiscovered Country. And instead of Star Trek V, they slipped us a tape of 1962's film, King Kong vs. Godzilla. This was actually my first kaiju movie as well. So, like, I had never seen King Kong. I had never seen Godzilla. Obviously, both of them were well enough known that even at my younger age, I knew what they were. But just to see them battle it out, like, at first we were a little upset that we didn't get the Star Trek movie we rented. But we ended up just watching it and really enjoying it. And, um... I thought it was a really fun experience, so I would definitely say that that is one of the more just unexpected moments, because you don't expect to get a movie you didn't expect to rent in the first place, obviously, but, like, I didn't, I mean, this crossover, I don't even think I knew it existed at that point in time. I wasn't a big fan of that kind of movie, so to find out that two of these big, famous monsters were going to battle it out... I was like, you know what? Forget Star Trek. Let's just watch this. We can bring this back. We can tell them they gave us the wrong tape later. Let's watch the movie. And it was really fun. Very much enjoyed it. Later on in the episode, at about 9 minutes and 30 seconds into the Patreon, Dalton mentioned the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers crossover, which in turn reminded me of a crossover I also enjoyed between the Power Rangers and the Power Rangers. The 10th version of Power Rangers, Power Rangers Wild Force, had a, a special episode called Forever Red. And in Forever Red, the Red Ranger of that matches up with the Red Rangers from every single previous Power Rangers. So the 10 Red Rangers that had held the mantle of the Red Ranger to date all formed up together and fought as a team. And I don't know, I just thought that was really cool, even though it came out well after I was still in the Power Rangers. It was a little bit later in my life, but I kind of just ran into it on a hotel room TV and was absolutely enthralled because I'd heard that the Japanese version of Power Rangers, I don't, I think it's called Super Sentai, that they had done something like that before. And to find out that the American version had also done it and, you know, put their 10 Power Rangers together and got to see all of them interact was just really cool, even if I didn't know most of them. Uh, similarly, another crossover between a show and its own version I thought was really cool was, um, it, uh, the uh, 
10th episode of, or not 10th episode, sorry, the 10th anniversary of Doctor Who had a show called The Three Doctors, where the third Doctor, who was at that point the main incarnation of him, ran into, uh, he crossed his own time stream somehow and ended up teaming up with his second and first incarnation against a threat that was bigger than anything that he ever met before. And that was kind of neat. And so they enjoyed doing that so much that for the 20th anniversary, they made one called The Five Doctors. And for the 50th anniversary, there was a show called The Day of the Doctor, where 13 Doctors had appeared, which is crazy because they were only up to the 11th Doctor at that point in time. So there was a Doctor played by John Hurt that was a, a backfill character to bridge the original series before its cancellation and the current iteration that started in 2005. And then at the end, there was a surprise appearance from the next Doctor Who was going to become Doctor Who. Like, I don't know, I just thought that was really neat. So it was just really cool. So this week, what I've been up to is, um, you know, I'd been kind of, my sleep schedule is still a little messed up from, uh, I started on new medication about a month ago and it's mostly been helping, but I got sick a couple times. You know, it, that's just how it goes. And, um, though I'm mostly better by the time it was recording time at about 1030 yesterday, I'd fallen asleep twice for the night already, which is ridiculous. These are old man hours. Like I fell asleep at eight and we kicked awake and was like, okay, I should check on the computer, see if everyone's there. Then I kicked awake again around nine, realizing I'd fallen asleep. And so when they started the call, I just let them know, hey guys, I do not know if I'm going to be able to um, hang out for the full recording. And I think that ended up being really good for all of us because as far as I can tell, they ended up recording the show through 2.30 a.m. and I would have been a dead man's desiccated corpse's mummy like absolutely nothing left would have been in me. So I'm glad that they recorded the show. I listened to the full Patreon episode already and I really enjoyed it. I feel like the three of them did well together. I do wish I would have been there to bounce some ideas off of them, talk to them some, but you know, I can see future crossover potential. Jeremy was great as a guest star. And I mean, it was a really fun episode. So I didn't get as much of this game done. The game of the, uh, episode Batman Gotham City because I've been kind of a little low energy kind of on the upswing I'm doing much better today but I did end up playing some kind of comfort games for me so I ended up playing some classic Doom um I played through uh I, w I actually did this little challenge I was doing for myself where instead of pistol starting levels I would just kind of start from the beginning of the game and just play as much through it continuously as I can before dying so I went through Doom 2 and I got up to level 15 and I, it was the exact trap I thought was going to kill me. If you've played Doom 2 a lot, you know what I'm talking about. At the top of the industrial zone, the tower, where you grab the BFG, and there's the Baron in front of you, and then behind you there's the two Pain Elementals and the Cacodemons, and the Lost Souls got me from the Pain Elementals. Just got wiped by that. That was fun. So I ended up playing Scythe, too, which is a, another, it's a fun wad that was created by Eric Alm, one of the great mappers of Doom. He um, made it, I think, I want to say 2003, that seems right. And um, I actually found the secret world, or the secret level for the first time. I had never before known where the secret level is, but I found the jump at the end of level 15 on that. Actually ended up getting to play Chaos Zone for the first, er, not Chaos Zone. I've, I've heard that that's the name of the level 32. I didn't find it. I found 31, which I think is called Ida No Torn. Yeah, Ida No Torn is what it's called. I found that. Uh, I didn't love the level because it was kind of just a... It felt like a kind of a heretic level that was a little out of place. But, you know, it was still 
fun to find something new in a map set that I've played a whole bunch of times. And I ended up dying on, I think, 17. So I gave up on that. Um, and then, let's see. Started playing through just episode 2. Got through that pretty easily. Of the original Doom. And then I wanted to install Project Brutality, which is a fork of uh, Brutal Doom. I'm sorry, I'm Doom nerding out really bad here. Um, but, you know, this is just one of my interests, so there we go. So I was playing Project Brutality, which is a fork of Brutal Doom that kind of improves stuff, randomizes the monsters around a lot, which I think is cool, um, and played through uh, episodes 2 and 3 of the original Ultimate Doom on that. But then I messed up my own... So I've got this launcher I've been working on in uh, .NET and C Sharp, and uh, I found out that I didn't ever include a remove wad from launcher thing so i got to you know do some code that i hadn't done in a while because i wanted to make some changes to my launcher for my own you know goals so that was cool i've also been playing a lot of idle games because those require like zero mental energy i've been playing um one called uh, clicker ultimate that's a civilization based game i've been playing trimps which is a game where you kind of have a little squad of little dudes that you take through a whole bunch of maps and then this is one I found really recently that um, it's been added to Steam not too long ago called Idle Research that is a really polished game that I really enjoy. Like, when you boot it up, it credits uh, a bunch of authors of games that I really enjoyed, like Heavy Pell, the creator of Antimatter Dimensions, 4G, the creator of NGU Idle, and Lava Flame, the creator of Idle Skilling and Legends of Eidolon. And it's, it's very much similar to NGU Idol in that it is an Idol game where you start off with a very simple thing and it keeps adding new mechanics that keep on kind of, uh, let's say, sort of uh, building off of one another to where at first they don't seem connected, but soon they accelerate previous ones. And it just has a really good... Um, I don't know, progression curve where it feels like you get a lot done really early on. I've been, I've been at it for about uh, 60 hours of Steam time, and I think I'm kind of towards the end of the current development, but it's under constant development. It's free, and it's not even free to play in the sense of, like, very ad-based or anything. There's just, like, there's no ads built into the game. There's an optional IA, IAP if you want to buy, like, in-game currency, but, like, it's not necessary to continue playing. So, like, I don't know, I really enjoyed that. Also, um, this week I listened to uh, our Patreon, Adam Aries, his uh, podcast, Revival and Extinction, listened to that episode of Jump about Jump Force, and I thought that sounded just really cool, because, like, you could tell that he has, like, this absolute affection for the many anime that these characters come from, and, like... I love the idea, too, of, like, seeing so many random characters. Like, the idea of hanging out with, like, Yusuke Urameshi from uh, Yu Yu Hakusho and Jotaro from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And he's not playable in it, but, like, Light from uh, Death Note. Like, there's so many, like, hi, like, Yugi from Yugi. Like, it's it seems like such a cool game. And though I'm sad that the main servers got shut down, it sounds like you at least got to have a lot of fun with that game when it happened. So, like, it was a great episode. I'd highly recommend you check it out. Uh, Revival and Extinction is the name of the show. So, um, getting into the episode, in the Patreon version, at 15 minutes and 30 seconds, Nate mentioned he first tried out Kingdoms of Amalur, which is a game that we have pegged to play in the near future. Uh, Team Retrogue, one of our donors, is expected to appear as the guest on that. Um, and I just thought it was really neat because 
uh, I feel like hearing a first impression about a game like that really helps me to build an appetite for it. And knowing so much talent went into that game in the first place, like, I'm kind of surprised it got as overshadowed as it did. Like, it seemed like a game that had so much going on in it, and it's, it's it just seems very surprising that you don't hear about it. No one even thinks about it. So uh, I'm looking forward to trying Kingdoms of Amalur. It, it seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. And then only a few minutes later on the show, they were talking about Resident Evil, uh, specifically Resident Evil 2, but also mentioning other games in the series. Dalton talking about, you know, his homie the Nemesis from RE3. And I'm just pleasantly surprised that going into a Resident Evil game for the first time, that they've held up well at all. Like, I, me and Nathan don't have a lot of nostalgia for this genre of games. When we were in the PlayStation era, we did rent Parasite Eve 2 a couple times, which was more of a survival horror game than Parasite Eve 1, which was more of an RPG. But aside from that, we didn't really play PlayStation 1 horror games. You know, we never really had the Silent Hills and the Resident Evils and all that. So... To hear that getting into it now and it's still that tense, that thrilling, like, it really gives me something to look forward to. So, I don't know. I'm excited about that. At 33 minutes in, we were talking about the Yakuza games. And man, I thought I was kind of good at games like OutRun until I played Yakuza 0. Like... It is crazy how much harder those, like, behind-the-back, old-school, pole-position-style racers are that they're just... I don't know what I need to do to get better at them. I mean, it seems like it's all about avoiding a collision, something like that, but man, it's just not easy. It's just not easy. You, you wreck once and you feel like you've already torpedoed your run, but you hit the brakes and you feel like, I'm being too cowardly, I need to be stronger. But yeah, I... So that was cool. I'm looking forward to getting into the fighting games whenever Judge... Hopefully Judgment comes to a home con... Or to a uh, PC at some point. Because, like, playing, you know, Virtua Fighter and Fighting Vipers sounds cool. And also, I feel the same way as Jeremy does about the storyline in the Yakuza games. Where I at first thought, hey, I'll play Zero, then I'll probably do Like a Dragon. Because those are the most, you know, highly recommended beginning points of the series. Now I just want to see Kiryu's whole story. Like, I can't imagine wanting to bump into Like a Dragon until I've played Yakuza 6, which means I'm going to play 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 before ever getting anywhere there. So, oh, that's just crazy. At 52 minutes and 30 seconds, uh, y'all were talking about the designs of the monsters, and... I like the penguins creepy ass look is incredible but like I honestly think they did a great job with so many of the designs for the characters like the stylization is really cool I love how the Joker has just that long skull like big forehead big chin and all that and like it, it has this kind of cartoony vibe while still being edgier like they're it's similar in vibe to the animated series from the 90s, but without parodying those designs, you know? Like, it it feels like they, there was a lot of really cool stuff that went into these character designs that just made them unique for Arkham without, you know, being alien to the characters as we know and love them. And, of course, having the animated series voice, of course, helps a ton for a lot of these. Like, you know you gotta have Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill and the rest of the gang, Tara Strong. Like, so many great voice actors reprising their roles. But, like, 
they just did they did a lot for this in really cool ways um you guys mentioned some early character cameos like the, the dead shot and hush things i did not pick up on whatsoever and my goodness in retrospect like i probably should have uh, i didn't get far enough into the game to really see them reprise their roles but man that is a really cool catch and i'm glad you guys talked about it on the episode So at 56 minutes and 30 seconds, y'all were talking about just navigating and moving. And man, I don't know, there's just such a great feeling about navigating the city in this game. Like Batman is extremely mobile. And then like you get, you, you swing, you glide, and then you perch and you just kind of chill for a minute. And just listening to that goon chatter below you, just listening to dudes talk about, you know, the changes in the armies happening within Arkham City and all of that. It just put me in a bat mood. Like, I felt like I was in a Batman universe. And it was it was very immersive. It was very cool. So, uh, one minute and two seconds, or one hour and two minutes, you got into the first, the two FMK games of this. So, FMK 1 was Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and Harley. I gotta say... Y'all make some compelling arguments for a lot of them. I feel like they're all dangerous. I think that y'all were saying, well, you know, Harley will break your, you know, break your stuff in the back. None of them won't. Like, come on, let's be real. So I'm saying I'm going to go with Mary Catwoman because I think Catwoman is, I don't know. I could just see that being a long-term fun partnership. And of course, y'all said Harley's crazy. She's gonna have them crazy moves. I gotta go with that, which means kill Poison Ivy by default. And I don't love that because I do like Poison Ivy a lot too. I feel like we could probably talk politics and I have some things to say to her. Like, I feel like we would be in, you know, we, we would get along, but someone has to be the odd person out in these. Let's see, the other FMK was Mr. Freeze, Penguin, and Two-Face. And I gotta say, I think Nate hit a home run out of the park, which is that Mr. Freeze has your back your whole life. Like, he will avenge your death. Just, like, he he's perfect. You gotta pick him, right? But there is that backup thought. That what if Penguin is so overlooked that maybe he might overachieve a little bit, you know? He might be the one that goes, hey, you picked me? All right, I will make it, you know, your dream life. But, you know, he also kind of seems like a bitter insult piece of shit. So I think ultimately I'm going with Nate, which is uh, marry Mr. Freeze, fuck Penguin, or fuck Two-Face, and kill Penguin. And Two-Face is definitely going to be, uh, come on, he's also going to be the wildest one there. Like, the other two feel like they're going to be, for Batman villains, kind of vanilla. Two-Face is going to have some fun. At about one hour and 18 minutes... Y'all were talking about difficult battles, especially enemies with guns. Good lord. Nate said he would sit there for about five minutes, and I think he meant literally five minutes, stalking enemies. And that's so much more patience than I have. I cannot believe that you have this kind of patience in a game like this. Like, I felt like if I sat there for more than 20 seconds and that wasn't working, I needed a different vantage point. I needed a different strategy. That just sitting around seemed like a bad plan and they tried to help me with that when i was streaming it he was like hey just chill just wait things will resolve themselves but man i 
I respect the patience it takes to do that, but I'm, I don't know, I'm always on the move. Um, so, one hour and 45, or 54 minutes, y'all got to rating the games. I don't think I played enough of it to rate it. Like, I know y'all gave it a scale of bat batterings out of bat signals or some such, and I've just got to say, um, I'm giving it a minimum of an 8, but I only ended up getting about 5 hours of gameplay out of it. I'm going to play it more. I think I'm going to love the rest of it. This game could easily be a 9. This game could easily be very high 9. It isn't going to be below an 8. So that's what I'm just going to say. Floor of 8, ceiling unknown. And then I'm going to get into uh, viewer questions. So at 1, uh, again on the Patreon version, 1 hour 50, 57 minutes and 40 seconds, Fenris asks, to choose three games and only three games to play for the rest of your life. My decision making on this one was a little bit um, based on the idea that if we get the game, we get everything that comes with the game too. So basically what I'm saying is I am basing mine on how much user created content there was post, you know, after the fact. So I ended up going with my first one being Doom 2, I think that will not surprise anyone. It has had, you know, great, great campaigns made for it monthly for 25 years. Like, it will never become old to me. There will always be something new, something amazing to do that the Doom community has done with this fantastic game. My second pick is Minecraft for similar reasons. There will always be fantastic mods, and the game itself, the base game, just kind of never gets old. There's always new things to create, new things to do. Uh, new, you know, new ways to play it. My third pick, I went with a, a bit of a different direction with this one. I thought I would take a game that, even if the game stays the same, as long as it has players, it would be fun for me. And so for this one, I went with the game Rocket League, which is a uh, vehicular sports game that I've been playing for, I think I have over 500 hours on it now. And it's basically flying cars playing soccer. It sounds a little bit silly, but every game you improve because there's very little that's abstracted. It's all personal skill. It's all about what you put into it. And I feel like I could continue playing the game for another 1,500 hours and always be getting better, always be finding new ways to improve and new ways to play the game. And I don't know, it just seems like it would be continually rewarding for that long. At 2 hours, 4 minutes, and 15 seconds, Eraser Adam asks, What do you feel makes a good Metroidvania? I wanted to say I thought that my favorite thing is when a game hints at its power-ups beforehand. Like, when you're going through the world, you're like, If I could only double jump, I could make that. If I could only, you know, pass through gates or open that gate elsewhere, I could make it through there. But that's more or less what Nate said. So I think that instead I'm going to go with... I think the most important thing to a Metroidvania is having a world that feels good to explore it. I think the more different biomes you have, the more the areas feel different yet connected, the better. Like I think Hollow Knight was a great example where when you're kind of in between the uh, green path and the starting area, you see vegetation start to emerge in a way that's very different from the gray rock and fungus that you see before you. You know, like. The further you get into the game, the more different the areas and the more distinct they are. And it kind of makes you wonder, well, what else is there? 
And I think that's kind of cool. Like, I think that um, Symphony of the Night, one of the first games that people really attached that Metroidvania label to, was another great example of that, where each area of the castle has its own vibe, that you would never mistake a room that's in the library to a room that's in the underground dungeon. And, like, I think that's basically it. You know, you just got to have a world that feels like you're making progress, where it's not like I'm just filling in squares on a map, but rather you're moving to a new place that feels different from where you've been before, but feels like a cohesive part of the same world. Two hours and 11 minutes, Ares or Adam asks, favorite ROM hack? Um, favorite is a bit of a stretch for me because I haven't played a lot of ROM hacks lately, but one thing I used to really love was ROM hacks for the NES game Tecmo Super Bowl. So the one thing that was really cool to me about the Tecmo Super Bowl community is they would not just add players to the existing rosters of the game but like the nfl expanded since that game came out i think that game only has 28 teams over six divisions now there are 32 teams over eight divisions and they had to figure out ways to make it so the game actually has the current playoff format they've had to hack it to where they can fit 32 teams in there and then continue to year after year create new rosters for the game and it just blows my mind that they put that much love into a game that came out in, I think, 1991 and continued to make it feel like uh, you're playing in this year's NFL, despite the fact that the game came out over 30 years ago. At two minutes, or two hours, 15 minutes, and 58 seconds, Fenris asks, uh, your favorite starter Pokemon by type? Um, I think every single one I'm going to pick has uh, been mentioned on there. Uh, for Fire, I really didn't care much for this line until Super Smash Brothers came out for the uh, Nintendo Switch. But once I saw Incineroar in action, just posing and flexing and all that, I think Litten and Incineroar, that line, became my favorite fire type. Maybe of all time, not just starters, but like the coolest fire type. I love the idea of just a rude wrestle cat. Like, it's so funny, so charming, and just so cool. Um, for water type, I am actually going to say I like Blastoise the best. I know it's a little bit of an old school one. And I want to give a special shout out that I don't love the whole line. I do love Toto Dial because he looks like a little blue Digimon. Like, he's hilarious. He's adorable. Uh, for grass, again, this is... A I think basically something y'all already said, but I'm just going to give it to Rowlet, even though Decidueye is not impressive. Rowlet by himself is such an all-timer that, like, you kind of got to give him that. Also, y'all didn't name Electric and Normal types. It's uh, Pikachu and Eevee. They would be hitting me, but they're not here. Haha. <laughs> uh, at 2 hours, 20 minutes, and 10 seconds, Jeff asked for your favorite snack and drink that have been discontinued. I thought this over for a while, and Nathan literally said the exact drink I wanted, so I don't know if I have a snack at all, although I do kind of miss certain Taco Bell items. Like, I would love it if they brought back the, uh, they used to have the mini quesadillas, which weren't especially good, and then they replaced that with the, uh, chicken quesadilla melt, which was fantastic, maybe one of the best dollar menu items of all time, and they've replaced that since then with the chipotle chicken melt, which is fine, but I missed the, the middle evolution of that series. As far as drinks go, uh, it's no longer canceled, but for a while it was really hard to obtain Clearly Canadian, which was like a flavored seltzer with, uh, artificial sweetener in it before flavored seltzer was a popular thing. 
is like, you know, just a good bubbly, clear drink that tastes like a fruit with some uh, sweetness to it without any calories to it. And I, I feel like it's on the upswing. I feel like I've seen it in places before and generic versions of it. Like I think the Walmart brand is called Clear American and all that. So at least, you know, it's on the upswing, which is cool because I just have fond childhood memories of that. Like I like getting the little Blackberry one and just kind of sipping on it. Uh, related question at 224 and 30. Kana asks, favorite snack to eat while gaming? Um, again, like the other said, I don't like to muss my controller up too much, but one of my favorite things to do is get buttered popcorn, like microwave popcorn, and just put it in a bowl so I don't get my hands completely covered in the butter on the sides of the bag, because I will absolutely be a butter mess if I eat popcorn straight out of the bag. I gotta have a little bowl and just kind of put it in there and then pour a little bit more between games. At 2 hours, 25 minutes, and 55 seconds, Jeff asks about pulling a George Costanza. What am I going to say to this, man? Like, yeah, I had some buffalo wings. Do-. I'm not answering this question. Even if I had, do you think I would admit to this on a podcast? At uh, 2 minutes and 28, I... It- so the last couple questions were a little tough to attribute. I think Connor either asked this one or the next one. If the next one, then Jeff asked this one. But we were asking about our favorite bat gadget. And I wanted to say bat shark repellent. I started to type that in my notes as I was listening to the podcast. And then Jeremy actually brings up bat shark repellent, which I love. I'm so glad that bat shark repellent made it to the episode. That is perfect. Uh, so instead, I'm going to say I... I do think it's awesome that Batman always hangs on to some kryptonite, you know? Just in case Superman starts acting out. And now usually the showdowns between Batman and Superman aren't very interesting. I don't actually like that very much. But I do think it shows both the intelligence and resourcefulness of Batman that he's able to, you know, procure uh, kryptonite and that he knows he needs to just in case. Then uh, the last question in the episode was, favorite Batman villain? And I'm glad to see some of the things you guys brought up. Um, Dalton brought up the Batman Forever Jim Carrey Riddler. One year when I was a kid, the year that movie came out, I actually went at, as a in a licensed Jim Carrey Riddler costume for Halloween. So, like, it was cool to hear. I, I have a feeling that if uh, my parents looked deep enough in the attic, they might be able to find the little question mark staff with the little twisted bottom that came with that. Um, Jeremy mentioned he loves how the Joker has, like, no motivation and... That, like, I know a lot of the most beloved versions of the Joker are there to prove a point. I know the killing joke, it's like, you know, you could be like me if you had one bad day. I know in Dark Knight, he pits the boat against the boat to be like, you know, everyone is just as, you know, sick and twisted as I am and all that. I honestly like the Joker best when he's just there to cause chaos, to cause problems on purpose. I know that sometimes he has a message. I'd rather he didn't. I'd rather he just kind of cause problems and whether it's goofy funny joker or if it's like murderous bastard joker it's still i think my favorite kind of joker where even maybe he doesn't know his own motivation he's just there for a laugh that's great um so i would like to thank everyone for uh you know joining the steam machine discord and uh you know we've reached the 10 five-star reviews on the podcast app so very appreciative of that. I hope you enjoyed the uh, giveaway. I had a good time. And I just really appreciate y'all hanging out with us. Um, this episode's music has been Waves Upon Waves by me. Um, it's a song I did for a uh, monthly project I had where I was going to compose one song a day for in MIDI music for 
a month. I didn't stick the whole thing out, but you can find the 15 things I ended up doing at icebrainstudios.blogspot.com. All of the music there is available in .mid format and is Creative Commons Zero, so it is able to be used as if it were public domain. It could be used without attribution. So you can you know download that music for looking at it, for listening to it, for using however you like. It's just kind of there. Um, and, you know, I this is kind of a special unauthorized project. I just thought I would do for myself and for the fans. So, hope you enjoy it.